0: the power of our God, which is what we're going to look at today. Some time ago I spoke on God's sovereignty, which really kicked off a series that um, I entitled Knowing God. It's also a book title, but we won't worry about that. But uh, this is what I've been looking at over the times that I'm with you. Several weeks ago when we looked at God's sovereignty, and it might be on uh on the website now, is it on the website yet Pete? Yes, yeah, so it's there, so I suggest that if you missed that one that you have a look at that because we're looking at the characteristic of God, the characteristics of God. Last week we looked at God's omnipresence and his omniscience. I understand that these attributes are a bit difficult for us to grasp because we have nothing to compare them with in our minds. In our finite minds it's hard to compare what we've been speaking about, particularly last week. You and I are limited in time and space. We live in a time-space continuum. We don't have a choice about it. We live by the clock, but God is omnipresent. He doesn't have clock. He has eternity. He lives in the past, present, and the future. He is there now, in the past, in the present, and in the future at the same time. And we looked at that last week. Our knowledge is limited. Our knowledge is very finite compared to uh, what our God's knowledge is, is, is infinite, omniscient. His ways are higher than our ways. And that's hard to grasp for someone like us who has that finite mind. And that's why we have the Word of God. We have the Word of God because God has given us all things about himself that we are to learn in his scripture. And this morning I want to talk about the third omni of God's character, Omni omnipotence. I'd like you to understand that my desire in wanting to know God better, the whole idea that we're looking at God's characteristics, is so that our Christian lives can be lived by God's power and not our own. How can we live as Christians if we don't know God? If we don't truly know Him? And we lose so much. reminds me of a story about a man who went to buy a new chainsaw now men, we love chainsaws. Even if we've just got a hedge, we want to cut down with a chainsaw. It's great stuff. So we, this man went to buy a chainsaw and he went and picked out one, and the nice orange one, the Husbana and and uh, really enjoyed looking at it and holding it and he was really thrilled. So he took it home and he was working with it, cutting down trees. But he was finding that it was taking him so long to cut down a tree, it really just... It didn't seem to be working the way that he thought it should. So he took it back to the, to the guy in the, in the store. And the man said, well, I don't know what's wrong with it. Let me take it out the back and I'll have a look at it and see what's wrong with it. And the man took it, about, took it out the back and he started up. At, rum, 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 and the other guy poked his head around and says, what's that noise? Come on. He didn't turn it on. Imagine using a chainsaw to cut down a tree without turning it on. Well, that's what we do as Christians sometimes. We have everything we need to live the godly, powerful, Christian life. But we don't turn the engine on. We don't tap into the power that we have. We're trying to cut a tree down without the available power. And while we desire power in our life, if we're really honest with ourselves, we have to admit that sometimes we just lose the battle. We're losing the battle. Because we don't know God well enough. Hopefully now you know his sovereignty, you know his omnipresence, his omniscience, and hopefully that will help you to to know God so much better and to be able to live the life. That he wants us to live, and now we're going to look at omnipotence. Still difficult to grasp because we're more aware of our own weakness than God's power. We live with our own weakness, and so it's hard for us to grasp the power that, that God has and everything that, uh, that Jordan has led us with the power of the, the creation. It's hard for us to grasp how that can be possible of our mind, but we have to by faith understand and be true that it is power, Omnipotence, omni, meaning all, potence, meaning power, all powerful, infinite power, unlimited power. So where do we find God's omnipotence in the scriptures? Well, we don't actually find that word, omnipotence. The word omnipotent in the scriptures is defined by the biblical world word almighty. All, omni, mighty, powerful, almighty God. But sometimes we say that word and it's just a word now that has become a jargon of of Christianity. Almighty God. But it doesn't ring true. I like what uh, the New King James Version and the King James Version uses in Revelation 19.6. He says, the omnipotent God reigneth. If you like Handel, you might like to listen to the hallelujah chorus and listen to the, the power of them singing about our omnipotent God reigneth. But Almighty is used, and it's used three hundred and forty five times in the Bible, and you can go through and have a look at each of the three hundred and forty five times, and it is never used at anyone but God. Nothing else is almighty. 345 times addressing God. And I'm not going to quote all 345 to you. Genesis 17:1 says, Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God almighty. Now for those of us who are going through the book of Genesis, you might have picked up at that stage that that was the first time in the Bible that God has made have been a reference to as God Almighty. Psalm 89.8 O Lord God of hosts, who is like you, O mighty Lord? Another way that the Bible talks about God being Almighty is Genesis 18.14 Is anything too hard for the Lord? Jeremiah 32.27 Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Jordan has already mentioned that God can do with power anything that power can do because he has the strength and the power to do all he wills to do. He has all the resources, he has all the ability to work his will in every circumstance in the entire universe. A.W. Tozer puts it this way, he said, God possesses what no creature can, an incomprehensible plentitude of power, a potency that is absolute. I think we need an easier definition to remember. Nothing is too difficult for God. You can remember that one. Nothing is too difficult for God. God is able to do everything he needs to do, God is able to do everything He wants to do. Before I move on and have a look at the Scripture in particular, I'd like to bring up the fact that this doctrine of omnipotence is under attack today. It's under attack, you would understand, by certainly non-Christians, but it's under attack by Christians. Even people within the church. I'd like to read an article written by a man named Tony Kempalo. He's a Christian. It's an article that was in response to the terrible tragedy of Hurricane Katrina and why it happened. I'm not going to read the whole article that he wrote, but this is what he said. He said, perhaps we would do well to listen to the likes of Rabbi Harold Kushner, who contends that God is not really as powerful as we have claimed. Nowhere in the Hebrew Scriptures does it say that God is omnipotent. Kushner points out that omnipotence is a Greek philosophical concept. But it is not in his Bible. Instead, the Hebrew Bible contends that God is mighty. That that means that God is a greater force in the universe than all the other forces combined. This is wrong, wrong, wrong. The five passages of scripture I just read in Genesis, Psalms, Jeremiah, they're all in Kushner's Bible, the Old Testament. I don't know how else to read what I've read and all the 345 occurrences of Almighty except to say that they teach the omnipotence of God. What does Almighty mean if it doesn't mean omnipotent? Almighty. All powerful. What part of all does Tony Kampalo or Harold Krishna not understand? All mighty. Fortunately, Jerry Bridges wrote a book entitled "Trusting God Even When Life Hurts," and I, I do recommend you have that book on your shelf to read through and read, reread through again when exactly that trusting God even when life hurts. <coughs> And in it he comments on the Rabbi's thoughts, Rabbi Harold Kushner. He says, Rabbi Kushner is not alone in his denial of the sovereign control of God over the events of our lives. Christians as well as non-Christians frequently speak of misfortune, accidents, of circumstances beyond our control, and presumably beyond God's control, of things happening by chance, The implicit assumption in the minds of many is if God is both powerful and good why is there so much suffering, so much pain so much heartache in the world? God is either good and not all powerful because he can't fix it or he is powerful and not all good because he lets it go. You can't have it both ways the thinking goes. Well, as we read the scriptures and I've already gone through the idea that God is sovereign, the Bible teaches that we do have it both ways. God is sovereign, He is all-powerful, and he is good. It's his character. He cannot do anything else. Jerry Bridges adds a part of the problem is that we as Christians are reluctant to attribute bad things to God's power. One of the songs we sang said something about the idea of going through the hard times, but God is still on the throne. You actually sang that this morning. And you sang truth. And I talked about that last week, so I'm not going to go over it again because that was a part of his omniscience. So if you want to catch up on that idea and that concept, go back and and listen to, to that. And I made a statement or I might be paraphrasing now, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I said that while we may lack complete understanding of what's happening in our lives, or in some circumstances any understanding of the ways of God, there comes a point when we have to say, I cannot fully understand why this happens, but I do and can trust the omnipotent God who does understand why. I'll just finish off the quotes with Jerry Bridges again. He says, That which should distinguish the suffering of believers from unbelievers is the confidence that our suffering is under the control of an all-powerful, all-loving God. Our suffering has meaning and purpose in God's eternal plan and he brings or allows to come into our lives that which is for his glory and our good. Again, I'll leave you with last week's sermon to pick up on that deeper. The Bible leaves no doubt about God's uh, omnipotence, so I want to have a look at the scriptures. But when you've got three hundred odd ideas of Almighty, I, I didn't know where to go to. Where do you go? I can't read every scripture. So I found a passage in Jeremiah that I'd like us to turn to. As I said before, Revelation 19.6 does use the word omnipotence. As you're turning to Jeremiah, I'll read that to you. It says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotence reigns. Some of you versions does have Almighty. I was going to stop here and listen to the Hallelujah chorus. It would have been so, so lovely to do that, but I, I couldn't, uh, couldn't get it or download it from anywhere. But Handel composed the Hallelujah chorus around that verse. What John had heard was a great multitude, a roaring of waters, a pealing of thunder, and it was all shouting out, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Now, I've never visited the Victoria Falls in, uh, on the Zambezi River. I don't know if any of you have. If you have, it's a very special place. I'm led to understand that even before you get out of the bus, you hear the roar of the, of the sound of the water that seems to be coming from the earth and the sky. is the description that I read. It's deafening and it's breathtaking. And what John experienced in Revelation 9 and was so much greater than that. The sound of the Lord God on Nippon's reign. Job writes us about something similar. and It's what Jordan was speaking about. The power of creation. Listen as I just read Job 26, verse 12. It says, By his power the sea grew calm. By his skill he crushed the great sea monster. His Spirit made the heavens beautiful, and His power pierced the gliding serpent. These are just the beginning of all that He does. Merely a whisper of His power. Who then can comprehend the thunder of His power? So even creation is just a whisper of the power of God, according to Job. And then he says, who can possibly comprehend, if that's just a whisper... Who can comprehend the thunder of his power? And that's what I want to challenge this morning. I want us to challenge, to attempt to understand and experience the thunder of his power. The creation is a whisper. What's the implications of God's omnipotence as we we look at it? What's the implication? Well, first of all, if God is omnipotent, no power in the universe can stop Him. Nothing can impede His plans. No natural catastrophes, no fate or luck or chance. Nothing. It's all God. And secondly, since God is omnipotent, what God starts, He always finishes. There is never a divine meltdown in fact, our eternal security rests on the truth of God's omnipotence, doesn't it? And we know that from 1 Peter 1, five. It says, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. God's omnipotence is holding and, and guarding our coming salvation in eternity. Philippians 1.6 reminds us that God won't stop halfway through his work, being confident of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Only someone with great omnipotent power can guarantee that. Where do we go in the scriptures? So many rich passages that can help us, just those two alone understand the depth of God's power, the thunder of God's power. In the end I chose the book of Jeremiah because it not only establishes his power, it gives us a practical hope so that we can experience that same power in our lives. Because in the end that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the fact, and I guess again what Jordan didn't steal a lot of my thunder, but he led very well into it, lifting up our eyes to see God's power. So it's not about just knowing God's power, but lifting up our eyes to see it, living as if God is omnipotent. And that's why I chose Jeremiah, because it gives us a practical hope that we too can experience that same power in our lives. The term we meet in Jeremiah will focus in on chapter 32 a little bit. But let me me set the context about Jeremiah. Jeremiah was commissioned by God to proclaim a very unpopular message. The message that he had to proclaim was that Judah was going to be destroyed by the Babylonians. Not a message that uh, is nice. It's not something that uh, people are going to be happy to listen to. But that was his job. And you can see why people didn't want to have him around. They didn't want to be near him. You can see why he's actually been termed the weeping prophet. I think I'd be weeping each day too if my whole job was to declare that Israel is going to be destroyed. But that was his job. We know from the reading of Jeremiah that when God first raised him for this, when God first spoke to him, Jeremiah rejoiced. Look at uh, chapter 15, verse 16. Jeremiah said to the Lord, When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. He couldn't wait to, to get in and do what God had asked him to do. But soon these words of the almighty and omnipotent God became a source of pain and suffering. He was put in the stocks, he was thrown in a well, he was treated very badly. Jeremiah fifteen seventeen gives us some insight into how it made him feel. He said, I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me and you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unending? Why is my wound grievous and incurable? You can see that he just wanted to be left alone or he wanted to be left He said, it's better to keep my mouth shut. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. I wonder if you've ever felt like, like, like him and yelled out, why have you filled me with indignation? Why is my pain seem to be unending? Have you felt like that? Are you feeling like that now? Beginning at chapter 30, Jeremiah looks beyond the impending judgment. He was told to, to talk about the judgment, but then he was able to look beyond that. God gave him, yeah, omnipotent. God gave him a, a view into the future because he found out that Judah's Judah would be restored after 70 years. They would be conquered, they would be taken away, but they will return. Take a look at 31 verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. Proclaim it in the distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch his flock like a shepherd. Now that that phrase alone, he who scattered Israel will gather them and watch his flock like a shepherd, shows our omnipotent God because all the peoples around the Hebrew people at that stage have gone. The only peoples who are peoples in those lands are the Hebrews, the only ones that still survive. This can only be explained. All all their neighbours perished can only be explained by an almighty, omnipotent God continuously demonstrating his power on behalf of his people. When we come to Jeremiah 32, we read that the prophet was in prison again. King Zedekiah was ticked off because Jeremiah was preaching that hey, we should surrender to the Babylonians. If you read uh, verse 2 of chapter 32, you'll see that Nebuchadnezzar was right outside the walls of Jerusalem. And this is where it becomes interesting. What does God do at this stage? Well, without going through the whole lot of the book, amazingly, in the midst of all this chaos and uncertainty, God tells Jeremiah to buy some property. To buy some property in Israel. It's strange when you think about it, because the entire land was about to be subjected to desolation and destruction. And yet Jeremiah is told to buy a chunk of land. Does that make sense to you? You know, as I thought about it, I thought our faith often seems foolish sometimes. Many times, it just doesn't make sense. For instance... Noah built an ark when there was no water. Abraham went on a journey without a map. Moses left the treasure of Egypt to wander in the desert. And now Jeremiah buys land that is to be overrun by the Babylonians. But like Noah and Abraham and Moses, God's omnipotence shines through and he makes it clear to Jeremiah that the land will be restored and therefore the deed that he has when, as he buys the land will once again be valid. Look at Jeremiah's response in 32.17. Ah, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Jeremiah knew that God was omnipotent, that he could do anything he wanted. He created the heavens and the earth, and Jordan has shown that we've sung about it. He can literally do anything. And then Jeremiah recounts some highlights from history that demonstrates God's omnipotence, beginning in the middle of verse 18. He says, O great and powerful God, whose name is the Lord Almighty, great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. You performed the miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt and have continued them to this day both in Israel and among all mankind and have gained the renown that is still yours. Jeremiah reminds himself, nothing is too hard for the one who has done, already done great wonders among mankind whose miracles are embedded in human history. But I wonder at this point if Jeremiah begins to have some doubts. I wonder if we would have doubts. I wonder if you have doubts. Maybe Jeremiah was thinking, this is crazy. Why should I buy a piece of lamb? What did I just do? It make no sense at all. And The reason I wonder about Jeremiah's doubts is because of verse 27 of chapter 32. God seems to address his doubts rather dramatically. He says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? With great kindness, God urges Jeremiah to a greater faith by taking up the prophet's own statement back in verse 19. But this time he asks it of Jeremiah in the form of a question. Jeremiah Do you really believe what you just said back in verse 17? Do you really believe that is anything too hard for me? This is what God said to Sarah, and she doubted God's promise that she would have a son. She knew her body was past childbearing, so she laughed. You might remember that from the study. This is what God said to Abraham in Genesis 18.13. God said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? You know, it's not in the context. It's not in Scripture. But I think Sarah must have made a little plaque and put it over a kitchen sink. And every time she did the dishes, she could look at, is anything too hard for the Lord? And of course it wasn't, because we know the Lord did provide a son. And so as God said to Jeremiah, he also says to us this morning, he's saying it to to us right now, is anything too hard for me? This should be a constant reminder, this should be etched in our minds, this should be over our sinks as we do the dishes. As you get into the car, is anything too hard for the Lord? This should be etched in our minds. Because let's get to the nitty-gritty. Most of us sitting here this morning will probably admit that God is all-powerful. I don't think there would be many in this room that would not say that as they walked out the door. But our problem, if we're honest with ourselves, is more like Jeremiah's problem. Do you really believe it? Do you live in light of His almighty power? Do you experience His almighty power on a daily basis? Nothing is too difficult for God. We know that. The scriptures share that. The question is, do you believe it? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Not that he is all powerful, but whether you believe it or not in your daily life when things are happening. Here's the bottom line I think many of us have settled for a mediocre Christian life. It's like using the chainsaw without the engine. I think that's what we've settled for a lot of the time as Christians. We've fooled ourselves into thinking that we, we can't change, I can't help myself. It's just how I am. Take me or leave me. I'm not going to change. And I think we give lip service to God. But I think we live our lives sometimes in our own strength. We operate in our own energy most of the time. But that is not the way God has intended it. That's not the way that He wants us to live. Turn with me to to Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 1. So I'm going to read from verse 18. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18. If you think your life is like the chainsaw, you know, backwards and forwards, we need to turn that motor on. And this is what Paul is saying. Verse 18 of Ephesians 1. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So that's the first thing. Do you know the hope to which he has called you? He also says that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Do you understand and live with the knowledge of the the, the riches of his glorious inheritance. And then he says, I, I pray that you may be enlightened, that you may know the power, sorry, the his incomparably great power for us who believe. Do you understand the incomparably great power? Not for everyone, but for us who believe. We have great power there for us. And then he gives us an example, not creation this time of his great power, but he goes on to say that power, the great power, the the incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That's the power that we have be be able to tap into that power that saw Christ being raised from the dead not only raised from the dead but seated in the heavenly realms can I ask some questions questions I want to ask is do you experience that same power that raised Jesus from the dead in your life Is is that the power that you experience that you have Do you access this power of the raised Christ in your marriage? Are you convinced that your kids are never going to change? Have you lost hope that your finances will ever be stabilised? Do you need to trust our omnipotent God with a physical problem? My friends, with God all things are possible. There's no circumstance, no attitude... No person outside of God's power. And I want you to remember you don't need to necessarily have great faith in God. You don't need to necessarily have great faith in God, but rather we need a faith in a great God. A great God who is omnipotent. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that we have been given the spirit of power. 2 Peter one three reminds us that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. That power has been given us, the power that raised Christ from the dead, the power that created the universe has been given to us so that we have everything we need for life and godliness. And we don't pull the string of the, of the cord, of the of the chainsaw I can't say strongly enough the normal Christian life is to, play, is to be characterized by power for living coming from an omnipotent God, that is the normal Christian life it's not a second blessing that you get later on in your Christian life you don't have to Be an older Christian, the normal Christian life is to be characterized by a power for living coming from an omnipotent God. It's the normal experience. It's normal to tap into God's power on a daily basis. I want you to get it through and understand that's the normality of the Christian life. It's not As I said, something we have to gain or get or get a second blessing. And so, conversely, it's abnormal not to access this power as Christians. It's actually quite silly to have the power there that's been given to us not to take it. And here's the good news the good news is you don't have to be strong to get this power, in fact, you need to be weak. Paul trusted an omnipotent God in his physical need. You might remember that he had a thorn in the flesh, and he asked three times, "Lord, get rid of this for me." What was his answer? What was the Lord's answer? You'll find it in two Corinthians chapter twelve, verse nine. And this chapter and this verse is written for you and me. It's written to people like us. Paul asked. Three times, Lord get rid of it, Lord get rid of it, Lord get rid of it, whatever it was. And this is God's answer to not only to him but to us. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. In the end, all we have to do is admit we're weak and needy. And when we do, God's power will come flooding into your life. When you understand that whatever you're going through, God's grace is sufficient. When we get out of the way and let God have control, when we ask Him to control our lives, when we tap into the power of the raising of God's Son, the power will flow. Nothing is too difficult for God. Do you believe it? There's a story, true or false, I don't know. Why worry about the truth of a story for a good illustration? Just before World War II in a town in Texas a school fire took the lives of 263 children. When the war ended the town eventually built a brand new school. And as they built this school what featured among other things was the finest sprinkler system in the world. Civic pride ran high in the system. In fact the students used to take uh, guided tours of visitors to show the new facilities pointing out the the great, most advanced sprinkler system ever developed. Never again would this school experience another tragedy like the fire that took all those children's lives. And as the town grew, seven years later, it was necessary to put an addition onto the school. But when they started building this new wing, they discovered something. What do you think they discovered? This new, fandangled sprinkler system had never been connected to the mains. What a tragedy. And what a tragedy it is when we fail to hook up to the power of God that is available to us. It's a double tragedy when we consider that all we need to do to get this power is surrender to Christ, surrender to God. I read earlier from Job. And I asked the question do we need what Job had written? And that is to hear the thunder of his power. When you can consider that Job read, read that the creation, the stopping of the waves and the sea, was just a whisper of God's power. Can you imagine the thunder? What did Paul say? I pray that you may be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. To help you connect with the omnipotence of God, I want you to think about what kind of power you need from him. What have you been struggling with? What's going through your mind? What's What's happening in your life that you need to connect with the power the, the, the power that raised Christ from the dead. The power that transformed made this, this universe. The power that transformed your life into a born again believer. That in itself shows so much power. My closing prayer for you is found in Jude 24. I'd love to sing it to you but I'm not going to And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this small glimpse of your enormous power. The fact, Father, that our minds are so unused to the power that is mentioned in the scriptures. In fact, to Job, Lord, your stopping of the sea was just a whisper of your power. Lord, help us to see the thunder of your power as we live our lives daily that we may know the incomparable power that we have. The power that has been given to us, the power that raised Christ from the dead, your power, Lord, that has been given to us so that we may live in all godliness. And so I ask, Father, as we go through the trials that will come, the things that happen in our lives that we call upon you, and understand that it is your grace that is sufficient for us. Because you are indeed our omnipotent God. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.